Welcome back to the program. Listen to any of the Republican candidates, and it's clear that the culture war issues that have driven so much political debate over the past 50 plus years is still going on. Our political discourse is as polarized as ever, even to the point where we've come to accept that you're never going to change anyone's mind about some of these issues. So when we do talk, when we do try to debate, we simply talk past each other. It's as if complicated personal and social issues are being discussed in a boiler factory. My guest, though, Aspen Baker, thinks that there's a better way, even to discuss perhaps the most contentious of all these issues, the subject of abortion. Aspen Baker is the founder and executive director of Exhale. She was a finalist for the 2014 American Express NGen Leadership Award, and she's been featured in publications and media outlets across the country. It is my pleasure to welcome Aspen Baker here to talk about her new book, Pro Voice, How to Keep Listening When the World Wants a Fight. Aspen Baker, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here. Is it just political issues or has something happened in the culture that has made it so difficult for us to talk to each other, particularly about topics that may be controversial or emotional? Well, there's a lot of things going on when it comes to the topic of abortion. And one of the things to realize is that we do have this huge political debate and this big controversy taking place. And at the same time, abortion is very, very common. One in three women will have an abortion in their lifetime. And the part of the problem is that we don't talk about the abortions that we have, the ones that we personally experience. So there's this big gap between, you know, our lived experiences with abortion and then what gets talked about politically. And shifting that has been the work of my organization and what I write about in my book. And one of the things you talk about, though, is is really the abortion subject and the controversy and the difficulty in talking about it, as you, you just detailed, as being symptomatic of some of the larger problems that we face in being able to talk to each other. It's true. There's this battlefield mentality that takes place around abortion and, and other issues. You know, gun violence is perhaps one of them, race, racism, this sort of like, are you with me or are you against me? Like, which side are you really on? And we like to put people sort of back up against the wall. Like, you tell me, you know, where do you land on this? And then that answer will determine whether or not I'm willing to talk to the other person or not. So this isn't a way to start conversation. This isn't a way to explore nuances. This isn't a way to respect people who disagree. And so looking in between that sort of are you with me or are are you against me, finding the gray areas, that's where we can have conversations with one another without sort of trying to put each other in a box um, or, you know, shaming and blaming our opposition. One of the things that we've seen with respect to the gay marriage debate, the same-sex marriage debate, is that because people had, and this really relates to what you were talking about with respect to abortions a little while ago, that there's a connection between the personal experience people have, family members, friends, whatever it may be, that if they understand what individuals go through or have gone through, that somehow it makes it a little easier to have the conversation. 
It's really vulnerable when we talk openly and personally about our own experience, whether that's as a gay person or as somebody who's had an abortion, to somebody who we might know on the other side isn't necessarily going to support that. It's easy to kind of talk in hypotheticals or sort of, you know, have these kind of big moral arguments in our head about, oh, you know, gay marriage, you know, marriage equality, is this the right or the wrong thing? But how do we talk to one another and be open to hearing things that might change our own perceptions? And that's such a fundamental part of what it means to be pro-voice. At the core of that is this sense of people being afraid to talk to each other about these controversial topics, abortion being perhaps the penultimate example, but the fear that goes into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, there, we don't have many examples of, of being able to talk about abortion with other people who might have different views and have any expectation that that will go well. And so a couple years ago, my organization, Exhale, which I've been running since 2000, we decided to work with five women who'd had abortions who wanted to tell their stories publicly and to strangers because they didn't want other women who'd had abortions to feel alone and because they wanted to change the conversation to make it more real and grounded in people's real lives instead of you know just this big political conflict. So we supported them as they traveled around the country. They went to colleges and churches and community centers and one of those workshops that I was present and 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 watching, you know, I, I heard a young woman come in and she participated in the listening exercises and the storytelling exercises and had all these conversations in, in this college classroom where there were people that had different values of, and beliefs about abortion. And at the end, she said, you know, I knew we were going to talk about abortion today, so I was scared and I was nervous and I prepared. Like, I got my fact sheet together and my talking points you know, and I came ready to fight for my side. And she said, I came in wearing my armor, but it turns out that I didn't need it. And so one of our big goals with doing this tour around the country was, is it possible to go talk to strangers about abortion and actually leave feeling more connected than when we started? And we found that that was true and that using the pro-voice tools allowed people to find things in common, using abortion as the way to have a conversation. How do those pro-voice tools apply in, in mixed gender situations, particularly with respect to the subject of abortion? Because it's certainly something that men and women approach and talk about very differently. That's a great question. From the beginning, exhale, before you even coined the term pro-voice, you know, my organization started with a talk line that was free of judgment and free of politics where women and men could call and get emotional support after an abortion. So for 15 years, we've been listening to men talk about their abortion experiences along with women. And, and men are an important part of our organization and we, you know, on this tour in 2013, talked to lots of mixed audiences. So, you know, we've learned a couple of things from listening to the men that call. You know, one is often men want to be a great source of support to the person in their life, to their wife or their girlfriend or their sister or their friend. And they don't always know how to do that. Like, what's the right words? How do we talk about this thing in a personal way? Often these guys, you know, they know the right, you know, feminist talking points and they support them politically, but there's not been any real 
guidance for how we talk to each other about this thing. So we help guys figure out how to find the right words and help you know, normalize and validate a range of emotional experiences that people can have. So if guys are saying, gosh, she's crying all the time. I thought this was no big deal, you know, or the opposite. Like, why isn't she crying? Shouldn't she be upset? You know, that we can say, you know, there's this whole spectrum of experience. And also in every call, we really open the door for men to be able to talk about their own experience with it. You know, it could be similar to hers. It could be different. And we find that, that men really appreciate the chance to speak for themselves. And it doesn't have to take anything away from the woman. It's just men are people too. <laughs> and, um, you know, can, can be listened to and, and respected as well. And so the tools of listening and storytelling and embracing gray areas that I write about in the book are, are really for everybody and, and particularly around gender to help people find a place of connection across their different abortion experiences. What is it about the abortion issue that makes it so much more charged than almost any other issue, even other controversial issues? I wish I had an answer for that. Um, I find that there's such a desire to somehow make abortion like other things, you know, like if we can come up with the perfect analogy to describe abortion, then we'll know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And I think the truth is, is that abortion is like nothing else. It is its own unique thing. And so we have to accept that. And part of Pro Voice is figuring out how we just accept the conflict that is here and that we have and how we can look at the layers and the nuances and the complexities that are inherent in it and find comfort in, in, in that complexity instead of trying to make it simple. Because for four decades, there's been an attempt to make abortion simple. It's either one way or the other way. It's life or it's choice. It's rights or it's a baby. It's black or it's white. And that hasn't helped us move beyond. And so pro-voice is going to help us live in the discomfort of those gray areas. And that is where we can find a way out. Where does the religious issue fall into this framework in terms of being able to have the conversation, in being able to intellectualize the various points of view and have this intelligent conversation informed by personal experience? So one way to think about that is, is you know, abortion, there's a, a wide range of lived experiences with abortion, and a lot of things will impact each person's experience. So someone's relationship is going to impact their experience, um, someone's age, um, you know, oppression, whether racism or sexism, you know, how that affects someone's experience, and also their, their religious and spiritual values. So... You know, a long time ago when we started the organization and we were thinking about all these callers we were going to get and, and all of the, you know, they're going to be Catholic callers and Muslim callers and, and spiritual callers and New Age callers and, you know, every kind of caller, you know, how are we going to support them and listen to them? And we said, well, maybe we should just go get, you know, a bunch of leaders from every religion and they can come train our volunteers on what that religion says about abortion. And we realized that's part of the problem. And instead we said, well, what if we get a number of different women 
who have different religions, and they can speak about what it means for them to be Christian and have an abortion, what it means for them to be Catholic and have an abortion, what it means for them to be atheist and have an abortion, and realize that that's just one story, and, and that no one person speaks for everybody in their religion, but it's a way in to, to be better listeners. And those kinds of things is what we need more of in our culture about how we can listen to the person that's in front of us talking about their own experience and how we can help them feel heard. And we don't necessarily have to worry about what the politics of the day are or, ne or what the, the leader of that church has to say, because in that moment with that person, the most important thing is that we listen non-judgmentally. And in that sense, is any of this about changing anyone's mind, or is it simply about compassionate understanding? It's about both. So it's not about necessarily getting people to a certain political view. That is not what pro-voice is about. It's mm -hmm. not saying, like, here's these tools to get everyone to agree on something. Pro-voice is designed specifically for the fact that we are in deep, deep conflict, that we are very, very, very stuck. And so how do we talk to one another when we're stuck? And empathy and compassion and listening to the lived experience is the first step that it takes. And so even if someone is, you know, against abortion or for abortion, that doesn't necessarily make them good or, or, good or bad at listening to someone who's had one. Um, you know, the, the political position doesn't necessarily make you a good listener. <laughs> and so our job and, and what we hope to inspire more people to do is, is listen to the person who's had that experience. And that, uh, again, can just open lots of possibilities for how we move out of the conflict that we wouldn't normally know if we weren't taking the time to listen. Is there something inherent in this, though, that invalidates those that don't come to the conversation with any kind of personal experience? Hmm. Um, well, I would say, and, and I do write about this a little bit in my book, that m almost everyone has a personal experience with abortion, you know, whether you know it or, or not. Abortion is incredibly common, and, and this, we've all heard stories about the people in our lives or stories about the impact of abortion. And so we all carry that, whether or not we've you know, personally, physically experience one, the, the influence of the stories that we've heard impacts the way that we think about abortion. And so it's being open and transparent about the stories that we've heard that we've incorporated and made a part of our own lives. We always have the sense that so much of this debate and, and the nature of it, much of what we've been talking about, is uniquely American. If we look mm -hmm. at the way other nations and other cultures talk about the subject of abortion, what do we learn from that? The conflict here is, is certainly unique to America, and um, abortion is in conflict in, in other parts of the country, and, or other parts of the world, I'm sorry. And one thing that's important to realize, when you look at other countries where abortion is illegal, for example, it doesn't make abortion go away. 
So there can be really high rates of abortion in places where it's not legal to have one. And so the difference is, is about, you know, what is being talked about openly and what is getting pushed into a realm of secrecy. And, and secrecy is, is not what we want. We want to create openness because that allows us to deal with the reality of, of what's going on. Talk about some of the changes that you've seen over the years in the degree to which talking about it in the way you've talked about with respect to pro-voice, the way in which that's really made a difference. I think there's two areas that we've seen the most difference in the last, you know, decade since Exhale was started. And, and one, when we started saying we're going to offer this talk line and people are going to be able to call and talk about their own experiences, there was a lot of concern, especially from the pro-choice side, that talking openly about emotions would somehow hurt or jeopardize abortion rights. And over time, we have seen the pro-choice movement and elements of the pro-life movement really embrace the fact that talking about emotions and talking openly about abortion experiences is important and deserving of support and respect and a realization that there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. And so even on the pro-life side, which has a long history of providing counseling to women who regret their abortions, there's been an opening to talk about um, the, the need for women to build networks of support and that there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer and that healing is possible, which is an incredibly important message to come out of the pro-life movement. Um, and on the pro-choice side, we've seen new talk lines start, get started, and we've seen abortion clinics and Planned Parenthood in particular really expand the way they provide emotional support services to their patients. So it's becoming more and more normal um, to talk about emotions, which is normal in the rest of our lives. You know, we talk about emotions all the time in our culture. So it's important that um, abortion be included in that. The other area where we've seen a lot of change is around labels. You know, when Exhale got started, we said, we're not going to be, we don't want a label. We don't want to use pro-choice or pro-life because we think it's a barrier to having a conversation. And that did not go over very well in the beginning mm -hmm. um, for many reasons. And over time, you know, we've seen that even the political organizations have come to that understanding as well, that the label of pro-choice doesn't necessarily help Planned Parenthood, for example, reach out to young people who care about abortion but who don't necessarily want to get boxed in under something simplified. And so Planned Parenthood made a big announcement within the last last couple of years that they were going to not be using the label as much. So both of these changes have really um, shown that there is a need to open the conversation beyond this, you know, are you with us or against us? In that same context, is there a resentment with respect to the pro-choice side that by approaching it this way, there's a kind of equivalency that gives more credibility to the other side? <laughs> um, I, I, you know, in conflict over, over long periods of time, um, when there is a, a really, you know, big hated opposition, um, it can be really difficult to sort of think beyond, well, what's, what's the other side doing? And I think this question of like, is there, you know, equivalency of like our pro-choice and pro-life the same? 
that that is not in any way, you know, what I'm about or what the book is about mm-hmm. or sort of seeing these two sides as equals. And yet that's how so much of America really um, sees the abortion battle. Mm-hmm. And so if we want to change that perception, if we want to change the conversation, then we have to change our own behavior. And we have to figure out how we're going to talk about things in a different way. Because if we keep doing the same thing over and over, um, then we're going to, you know, we'll expect the, the same results. So um, probably there's some resentment somewhere, but I've also seen incredible leadership and incredible creativity and, and risk-taking on, on people from all sides. And I'd say that's another way to, to kind of break down the dichotomy is, is to really talk about all sides instead of just two um, because then there's a lot more room for people to, to find themselves in the conversation. Have you applied or watched others try and apply this pro-voice idea to other issues, other issues that perhaps may not, that may be controversial, but perhaps not as, as powerfully emotional as the abortion issue? People approach applying pro-voice on other issues and usually in two ways. One is they feel it as something deeply personal, that there's something in their own life that they can't talk about or don't feel like society is equipped to talk about, whether it's, you know, the death of a loved one or a child with special needs or... Um, you know, addiction, something in their own life that they want to figure out how to talk about. And so how they use these pro-voice tools of of listening and storytelling to open that conversation. The other way that people look to pro-voice is thinking like, how do we do this with Congress? (laughs) You know, like how, like these really entrenched issues, how do we talk about guns? How do we talk about racism? How do we talk about anything in the political sphere and thinking about, you know, how pro-voice can, can open up those realms of conversation. And what I think is that, you know, our elected officials do what we push them to do and what we want them to do. And so if we want our elected officials to be better able to talk with nuance, to be able to evolve and change their opinions over time, um, and to be able to look at things in a new light, then we need to be able to do that and set that expectation and show them how it's done and, and not necessarily, you know, call them names and shame and blame them if they do change their mind over time. So um, I think we can push, we can create the culture that we want and, and push our politics to better reflect that. Aspen Baker, her book is Pro Voice, How to Keep Listening When the World Wants a Fight. Aspen, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. 